Put it in your pocket or clip it on your waist and put it in your down. Excuse me, good evening everyone. As you can tell, I'm getting ready to try to teach you all a little something about the book of Judges, but I had to teach myself something first because honestly this is not a book that I've studied a lot on, so I was I was pretty glad that I did it, learned a lot of stuff I did not know. So my lesson is on Judges 6 to 9, okay, and which is in reference to Gideon. Well, I can see that, can I? I didn't think I could see that far. That's why he gave me the papers. Well, that's not too bad. All righty. Since it's starting with Gideon, does anybody know who Gideon was? Well, I guess I'll have to tell you then. Let me see. I don't know either. Um, he was a judge and a mighty man of war in Israel. He was the youngest of a poor family from the tribe of Manasseh, and he was one that God called on to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Mennonites. I mean, Midianites, excuse me, Midianites wouldn't want to be there. So, oh, he's right, I can't see that. Anyway, so what caused the problems of the Israelites in the first place? Disobedience. Disobedience. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, thinking about that, does that remind us of anything that happened somewhere around 1400 B.C.? Might have to do with a couple of tablets. What's that? Yes, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, what did the folks do down below? They made the golden calf. All the things that he showed them as they were traveling away from the Egyptians, they still didn't look at that the way that they should have, and they turned back to doing their evil ways. So kind of reminds you of a lot of things. Do we do any of that kind of stuff today? Yes. Absolutely. Doesn't matter what good comes our way, sometimes we always look for an excuse to go back the other way. And when that happens, we turn our backs on God, though he never turns his on us. We still have some consequences we have to face at times. So what did that cause to happen when they turned their backs on God? Yes, ma'am. Separatism. Yes, separatism. The Midianites were able to overpower them and basically put them right back into slavery, what they had gotten away from. So when the Israelites hit rock bottom on that, what did they do when they got to the bottom and just didn't know what else to do? Cried out to the Lord. Now, does that relate to us in any kind of way today? Yes. How? Exactly. All we do is we take all the good that he gives us when he gives it to us, and when we get ready to throw it away, then we just toss it aside. We keep forgetting just how much he has done for us and the fact that we need to always follow him, be faithful, and be obedient. I'm going to have to do it this way, guys. So, obviously, what was Gideon doing at the time he got called by the Lord? He was working in a wine press. Why was he doing that? Because he was afraid to take on the challenge that God gave him, and he was hiding. So does anybody know what happened next? Angel of the Lord appeared and said, the Lord is, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. 
if we read verse chapter 6 verses 15 to 17 does anybody have that handy if you do excellent now based on the, the verse we said right before that God sent that angel and he said that he called him a man of valor now based on what was just read does that sound like Gideon was a man of valor to you all not at all what does that tell you or tell us about God's view of us versus our view of ourselves? Sometimes God knows us better than we know us. Absolutely. There's nothing that we know that God hadn't already thought of. So I know I've gone through a lot of things. Like tonight, I've been nervous for a month and a half ever since I let them talk me into doing this. But obviously, if I couldn't do it, I wouldn't be up here. So, you know, talking with Hiram, working with him, taking my time to get my notes and stuff together. You know, God knew I was going to be able to do it, even though I didn't think I could. So, moving on from there. So, what did God tell Gideon to do? He told him to tear down the altar of Baal and build the one to God. Did he do it? Obviously, yes. I gave you all a little help on that one. How did he do it, and why did he do it that way? Exactly. Even with God telling him all this and making him understand that he was going to be with him, he was still afraid, so he did it at nighttime. So when the other men found out who did this, what did they say? That's right. They told his father to bring him out so they could kill him. What did the dad say to him? Exactly. He said, if Baal is a God, let him defend himself. So if we look at that, it kind of reminds us back when the ten plagues was coming to the Egyptians. And every time something happened, Pharaoh tried to pray to one of his gods. Especially when they did, when the last one happened and the firstborn was killed. You know, he took the child to the altar and he's like, you know, I know that you'll take care of this. Their God isn't anything that you can't handle. I know you're going to bring my son back to life. But did he do it? No, he didn't. Because he wasn't a true God. He was simply an idol. Alright, we're moving on to the feeding the Midianites. In chapter 7, verse 2, God told Gideon that there were too many men to fight with him. Why did he do that? How do you see that? He kept on asking... Yeah, it is. Exactly. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what God did for him. He kept on asking for one more sign, one more sign, one more sign. And again, that relates to us in today's time because no matter how many times God shows us that He's got our backs, we still want that extra proof. We're like, okay, I know you said we could do this, but prove it to me. All right, I know you already did that, but you know, give me one more little sign. Well, what do you think about asking me to do it again? If I were God, I'd say, ask me to do it again, I'm done. But I'm not God, so we're going to leave it like that. Okay? So now, good point, my friend. So now, we're moving on to defeating the Midianites. God told you again there were too many men to fight with him. Why did he do that? Exactly. Thank you. Does anybody know 
how many he started out with? Over 32,000, exactly. How did he get rid of the first 22? He asked them if they were afraid. Now, I would feel kind of bad if he said, if you're afraid, you need to go back home, and I got on my horse and left. But being under the guise of 21,999 other ones, I think I'd go ahead and leave, too, if I were really afraid. So how many did that leave? 10,000. There were still too many for God because he's like, they're still going to think that they did this instead of me. So do you know how he cut it back down again? Kind of along those lines, but not exactly. What did you say, sir? Had him get a drink. And he said that those who lap like a dog, I want you to send them away. So how many more did we lose? 9,700. Take 10,000, leave 300, 9,700. Now, would you think that you could defeat an army as large as they had with 300 people? I certainly wouldn't, unless I knew for a fact that God was on my side and he had that clock is not right up there because it's got 25 after 3. So I'm like, am I going to talk that long? But uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw that movie, The 300. I saw bits and pieces of it years ago. And I didn't really know. I just thought it was a pretty cool movie, the part I saw, because I like fighting in armies and stuff like that. After I started reading this, I realized it was related to this a lot. Because I can't remember the guy's name. But anyway, the guy that was in charge of the army was out getting ready to go against this huge, huge army. When you looked at the screen, it's like going from here down the bypass. You couldn't see anything but people and horses and chariots and things. And that's about the way it was with this. So to imagine that 300 people that you got in your army can defeat all these people was just unimaginable. And yet, did they defeat them? Yes, they did. Now, since he had 300, he took them and divided them into three groups of 100 apiece. They got on each side of the armies. Do you know what they did after that? They made a lot of noise. They blew trumpets, broke pitchers, and lit torches. And what did that cause to happen? That's right. They were afraid because they thought it was a huge army and they started just going ballistic, fighting each other, killing each other, doing all kinds of things. So once that happened, they defeated 135,000 people with those little 300. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That he's going to be there with them. And this is the one time that he actually had enough confidence to realize, you know, God has shown me this time and I'm going to believe it. So that's the reason he went back and like he said and said, let's go, let's do this, let's get it done. So they did. So moving forward, and if I ever skip over any things you want to say, please do. Okay. No, no, I know you're not. I know you. I like that about you. So he said he's not shy, just so y'all know that. So we're moving on to Ephraim. I may pronounce this wrong. Ephraim, is it Succoth or Succoth? Hiram. Okay. All right, Ephraim, that middle word, and Penwell, is that good enough? Um, after getting defeated the army, why did Ephraim complain? Why would you complain if he's already defeated the army for you? I wouldn't have worried about it at all. But he still complained because he didn't call on them to fight. 
Now, my thoughts on that are he complained because he didn't call on them to fight because they were already defeated. Now, I'm not so sure that he would have wanted to go with him if he said, well, you only got 300 people. How are we going to fight 135,000? But once it was already done, he's like, well, man, why didn't you call on me? I could have helped you. Well, what did Gideon say to him? And I thought this was pretty cool. He explained that he hadn't done any more than they could have because he's not the one that defeated the army. God was. Now, if I was told that, I'd be like, whoa, you know, I need to step back. Remember who I'm talking with and who's got this taken care of, which is God. So now after this, Gideon went down after the two Midianite kings that he'd already chased away. It was Zeba and Zalmanah. In verses 5 to 8, what happened after that? When Gideon was going through with his guys, he asked a couple of them, he said, you know, I'm tired, my men are tired, can I have some bread for my journey? But they refused. Why? Because he hadn't already caught the two kings. So he's like, okay, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to come back, I'm going to tear the flesh from Succoth and destroy the tower of Penuel. After he killed the two kings, he came back and he kept his word. Uh, so Gideon was asked to rule here. After all the men of Israel asked Gideon his sons and his grandsons to rule, what did Gideon tell them? Told them no. Why did he say no? Because he said, no, the Lord's going to rule over you. In other words, he didn't want the accolades. He didn't want the glory. He didn't want the stardom. He let them know he hadn't done it in the first place. So always depend on the Lord and remember who your father is. But he did ask him a favor. Does anybody know what that favor was? I didn't know what this particular thing was until I started reading this and researching it. He asked them if they would give him the gold from those that he had slain. And what he did with the gold was he made an ephod, which is a breastplate that you put on. Kind of like, I guess, a knight with shining armor on it. So it's like today it would be like a bulletproof vest. Like I said, I'd never heard that before. I thought that was pretty cool. And what did it represent? It represented a testimonial to God to let them know who was in charge. Said after this, there was 40 years of quietness. So in other words, everything was calm. They didn't have to worry about anybody trying to attack them anymore or anything going wrong with them. Said once Gideon and his sons died, though, what happened after that? Kind of the same thing that happened with the Ten Commandments and all that kind of stuff, right? They turned right back away from God and they turned to evil again. They made Baalbereth their God instead. Now, how did he become their, their God? Same way as the gods that they made the golden idol of. They just like, you know, we don't need you anymore, God. So we're going to go back to doing exactly what we wanted to do. So they made themselves another idol. And then they started worshiping that idol again. Trying to keep his notes in order. Alright, we're talking about Abimelech and the fall of the Israelites. Who was Abimelech? Does anybody know? He was Gideon's son. What did he want to do? He wanted to be king. Did he need to be king? No, he didn't. Why do you think he didn't need to be king? Because he didn't have the best interests of the people in mind. Whose interests was he worried about? 
his own. Absolutely. So God did not call him to do the judging, so he took the throne. Now, how did he become a king? He talked the Israelites into it by saying that one ruling over them would be better than 70, all of his brothers and his other relatives. So there's a young man named Jotham. He hears all this stuff and he tells a parable. Let me see where we're at here. I want somebody to read that. It is... Yes, <clears throat> 9 7, I think, down through 21. If somebody doesn't mind reading that real quick. But the vine said to him, Should I seize my new wife, which God had been, and go this way on the tree? Now there have done him to him Abimelech, the son of. That's a whole lot of reading and a whole lot of words. But we can sum it up in this way. What it actually represents. It is showing that they were noble trees, that is Gideon and his offspring, and that after they died, there was no other choice for the people than to let the bramble rule, which is Abimelech. If you look at uh, what happened after that, everything that he said was going to happen all came true, and it happened exactly the way he said it was going to happen. All right, so Abimelech ruled for three years. During those three years, what happened? It says, God sent an evil spirit between him and the men of Shechem, who made him their king. So after this, Gael and his father Ebed led a rebellion against Abimelech and the men of Shechem. After this, Shechem turned on his own brothers, the men of Shechem. Next, Abimelech went to Thebes and took it. There was a tower that all the men and women fled to. Abimelech tried to take the tower, but a certain woman cast a millstone on his head to break it. Once he knew he was going to die, he asked a young man to slay him so it wouldn't be known that a woman had killed him. Once the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed, and God put the curse Jotham spoke on their heads. So once again, as soon as they saw that he was dead, they went right back to doing what they were doing all along. Just always turn away from God. Doesn't matter what he shows people he can do. They just keep on, keep on, keep on pushing and pressing. Yes, sir. Exactly. No, it didn't. Yes, sir. No, no, no. I, I may let a higher man answer this better than I can. But that's just like if you go back to Pharaoh when he was holding the, the uh, Hebrew slaves. Every time Moses went to him and showed him a sign that God gave him. Instead of Pharaoh saying, okay, you know, you're right. I can't deal with your God. Here you go. It states that God hardened his heart. So basically what he's doing is he's letting them live the way they want to live. And then when it gets to a certain point, he's like, okay, we're going to take care of this right now. So I'm going to put you against you and you're going to fight it out and see what happens. So I don't think I don't think it's necessarily that he actually sends evil onto the people. I think that he allows their hearts to become evil so that they want to fight against each other and turn on each other. Anywhere close? Exactly. And the same thing, like he said with us today, you know, he keeps on doing and doing and doing and doing. And then we keep on saying, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough. So finally he's like, well, see how you can do without me being there to help you. 
And I think that's kind of the same way it is with these guys. But that's a good point. So this is not as near as long as I thought it was, so I apologize. Because we're actually already to the conclusion. Alright, I'll just read this from my page. So to me, the conclusion of this and the lesson you get out of it is this. That disobedience always brings judgment. Instead of the Israelites learning from experience that God will always punish rebellion against them, they continue to disobey, and therefore they suffer. If we continue to disobey when we invite, we invite God's discipline because the Lord disciplines those he loves in Hebrews 12:6. I think it may go back to your point. He loves us, but he's still not going to let us get away with everything that we try up to a point. Now, we're going to make mistakes. He knows that. And he's like, well, you know, just keep your faith in me. Come on back to me, brother. Come on back to me, sister. But at some point, if you continue to just walk away, walk away, walk away, he's just going to get tired of it. And he's going to let you make it for a little while on your own. And then when you finally realize you can't, then you either continue that till the end of this life is over or you finally come back to God and you're like, you know, I couldn't make it without you. Show me what to do now. So it's also a testament to God's faithfulness. Even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. That's 2 Timothy 2.13. Even though we may be unfaithful to him, still he's faithful to save us. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, and he forgives us when we seek forgiveness. That's 1 John 1.9. So as short as that was, and I apologize, does anybody have any more comments they want to make on it? Don't know if I can answer the questions, but I'll do the best I can. So we good? Yes, he did. Yes, Jared they did. Bale. Yeah, and think about that. The last part of that bail, it's almost like they didn't have enough respect to go ahead and call him Gideon. So, and it's just like Ephraim, the tribe, was named after him, and then he's sitting up here trying to ask Gideon why you did us wrong. Yes, sir. I would say that he was a good judge mostly because when they asked him to rule over them, he still gave all the glory to God and he didn't want to take any of the credit. Now, just like it would be with any of us today, you know, we're still going to be frightened of some things that God asked us to do, just like I told you guys getting up here. You know, I was like, I really don't want to do this. And I told Harmon and Neil both, I said, since my car accident, my memory is gone. That's why I've got these notes. And I hate to have to use them, but it is what it is. So, we're all going to be to a point at times to where we're like, I still really need you to prove to me that you're going to be with me and not just let me be out there winging it on my own. So I think that he had those same issues that anybody would have in the Bible, even us today. But as I told you after that, I believe he was a good judge because he only wanted to do, number one, what was best for the people. Number two, what God wanted him to do. And then, like I said, that particular point where they asked him to rule over them and he rejected it, his sons rejected it, his grandsons rejected it because they wanted them to understand. It had nothing to do with the person. It all had to do with God taking over and doing what God needed to do. Appreciate that point. Anyone else? Exactly. Exactly. And you know what's funny? Even if you all the way back to Pharaoh and the Hebrew slaves, even though Pharaoh called himself worshiping his gods, who did he make them feel like was, was ruling over them? The gods? No, him. 
He was the God. But then when he needed help, he went to his God. Well, see, Gideon didn't do that. He let them know up front, I'm not God. I'm not ruling you. He's taking care of you. Any other points, questions, or anything? Why the Lord has for sin, which mm-hmm. And I think that's a, exactly, and I think that that can easily be related to us today. Hopefully, not as much in the brotherhood as it is in the rest of the world. But any of us can say at some point in our lives, especially when things get really bad, or if you're supposed to be God and you're supposed to love me, how can you let this happen? He never told us that we were going to have a perfect life, and we're not. Not until the end of this life is over with. And it's either going to be perfect in heaven or unfortunately for some it's going to be perfect in hell. But it's going to be exactly like we want it to be when we end this life. Now I know there are several individuals that I've spoken to that I'm like, hey, you know, guys, when we sit down and talk about the Bible a little bit, you know, you tell me what you think about it. We'll study it and we'll look at it and see what we can come up with. The first thing half of them always say is, well, you know, I've been having problems with this, that, or the other. And every time I think it's going to get better, it gets worse. Why do I want to care about God? Why do I care about him trying to do something for me when every time I ask him, I get a no? And I can, I can use that as a personal example in my life. Ever since I had my car accident in 2014, I've gone through so much stuff. You know, I have seizure disorder. I know y'all didn't know. It's because I'm just an awesome guy. So you didn't know all this stuff. But I got seizure disorder two years after that. I had open heart surgery. So I've got a, a heart monitor. Sorry. Heart monitor in here. Four years after that, I had a seizure. Fell on. And those of you that are old enough know what I'm talking about. That open floor gas heater grate. I fell on that while I had a seizure. Burned all of my back off and all of this arm, and they had to ruin my pretty, pretty leg here to take the skin off and do a skin graft. So I've had so much stuff happen to me, and I thought I was a pretty good Christian. And when it first happened, I'm like, it's just, just part of life. When the second thing happened, I'm like, man, you know, what did I do to deserve all this? Because I was, I was at the gym five days a week. I was healthy as a horse. And then I have to have open heart surgery. So I'm like, what did I do to deserve all this? Then when I fell on the grate and, and had to go to the burn center in Vanderbilt, I'm like, okay, I must really be doing something wrong. But it took me a minute to get over it. You know, I had some little depression, little anxiety, things like that. Didn't really want to be around people, which means I also didn't want to be around God. Finally, I got my head on straight and I'm like, no, you're sitting up here telling other people about God and how everything's not going to be perfect. And as soon as one thing bad happens to you, you're doing the same curtail and running away from God yourself. So it took a little bit, you know, of things happening to me to get me back on point. And you guys know yourselves, COVID was part of the reason that I didn't come back for those two and a half years. But a lot of it was I just didn't feel right, you know, with God. So it's going to take some time. It's going to take a whole lot of things to move some people versus one or two little things to move other people. And I also look at it in my case as God just testing me. Because it tells you God won't put more on us than we can bear. So 
if I couldn't handle all this, it wouldn't have been able to happen to me. So I just think it's, I think it's pretty interesting, and different people are going to see things different ways. I know that. But, of course, if we all saw things the same way, we wouldn't need church because we'd all be going to heaven anyway. So anything else from anyone? You're doing the countdown. If he doesn't say anything, I know we're good <laughs> because this man knows everything that there is to know about the Bible. So as do a lot of you all others. So. Don't know how much time you got left, but the lesson is yours. Appreciate everybody listening to me and putting up with me.